You are listening to Fanta Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks, episode 43. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who can only be described as looking best in orange. How are you? I'm all right. And to be fair, actually... The first time I put my pilot outfit on, I wasn't too sure about orange, but it kind of does grow on you. I have to, I have to admit. Suits your complexion. <laughs> makes me look healthier. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Talking nonsense as usual. Loads, loads of Star Wars news for us to talk about as, as ever. Yeah, it's been a busy week. Busy week. It has been a busy week. I mean, since we last spoke, celebrations been cancelled. Star Wars Squadrons has been announced. So we'll be talking about all of that. We've got a listener's question as well. And uh, we'll chew over the final episode of Disney Gallery, which was... I think universally been accepted as being an awesome episode. So where should we start, Mark? What should we talk about first? Let's get the sad news out of the way first, I reckon. Star Wars Celebration has been cancelled, so we were all anticipating meeting up in Anaheim in August, but that's not to be with everything that's been going on. It's been cancelled now until the 18th to the 21st of August 2022. First thing, obvious question. We've talked about it a lot on the show and on the website. It's a good decision, isn't it? I think so. It's probably got to be tough. And and actually, I think now, as as with in the UK, things are starting to open up and, and maybe there might be people saying, well, actually, did they need to? But I think really it was probably the most sensible decision. Yes. OK, we've got new series of Mandalorian coming in October and I'm sure we might have had some even bigger announcements, but hopefully they can still do that. But it, it might just be safer this time around to just kind of play it just a little bit safe and just cancel it or, you know. As many as many um, convention organisers are doing a postponing, so it's technically it's postponed to twenty twenty two, I guess you'd say. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people had said initially, well, why why they're postponing it two years? Why aren't they doing it next year? But I think the same weekend next year is D twenty three, so they couldn't they couldn't shift it to then. And, and presumably, like you just said, all these other conventions are shuffling quickly to either postpone and redo them later this year, like they tried to do with Emerald City Comic Con, which they moved it to August, and now that's been moved back to March next year. So so all these dates next year for these big convention centres on both coasts of the States, everywhere in the middle, and across Europe and the UK, are all filling up really, really quickly. So really, there might not even be a place for them to do celebration before 2022. That sounds ridiculous, but it's quite feasible. It's possible, yeah. But also, I just threw the thought out there on social media, no knowledge, just throwing it out there. Hey, what about Celebration Europe 4 then next year, you know? Because there's got to be a celebration. You can't imagine there's not going to be a celebration for another two years now. That's, that'll be a three-year gap. Which, what it, Of course, it used to be back in the day, 99, 2002, 2005. Yeah. It's not unheard of, but recently... Recently, it's been like relentless every year. Um, but you kind of would have thought that if um, if they were going to do Celebration Europe four uh, next year, they might have announced it rather than just saying it's not going to be till twenty twenty two. Because you kind of would have thought, well, actually, that's what you do. You say we're canceling this year's, but actually next year we're going back to Europe, and then the next US one's going to be twenty twenty two. So if it happens, that will be great. What, what do you reckon? 
back to London or do you reckon they'd look at a different country in a different location? I'm, I'm quite open. I mean, we, we've spoke recently about, you know, how much we both enjoyed Essen, which was a great location, a great place, great fun to get there. You know, we did the caravan and all that. London's been fun personally selfishly i'd like to see it happen in birmingham because i think it's got the infrastructure to to hold it all the all the benefits of it being there in the uk but that being said they've never done it in france they've never done it in spain you know there's lots of other places in europe that they could do it plenty of other places in germany that could do it so i'd be happy to see it anywhere really i mean my head tells me given that pinewood's not far away you know, they're probably going to want to try and do it at the XL again or a London location. I mean, the XL is the obvious one, even though it can be a nightmare to get to. And hotels aren't easy down there or cheap. You know, it could be as cheap to go to the States as it can to do, to do you know, an XL. To do, yeah, to do London a week one. out of the XL, yeah, oh, very yeah. much. I hope they do something. It feels like, you know, we've got, like you just said, we've got Mando Season 2, we've got High Republic, we've got Star Wars Squadrons, and there's more stuff to come in on the gaming front. You know, there's there's plenty going on. There's, you know, Kenobi starts shooting next year. Going to be in pre-production on the 2022 film. There's a lot going on, so I don't know. I, I mean, if they do keep it two years, hold it two years, then fine, you know. You know you're going to get content at D23. Plenty of Star Wars content there, but... You're right about them. You think they'd announce it, but when, and I forget which celebration it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Celebration Anaheim happened. Then they announced Celebration Europe 3 at the XL. Before Celebration yep. Europe 3 even happened, they announced Celebration Orlando in 2017. So they were announcing Orlando before London had happened. Anybody outside of the UK that wanted to come to Celebration Europe hearing that, oh, it's only 10 months until Orlando, would think, yeah. uh, let's just wait yeah, for Orlando. Wait. So it just exactly. felt like a, yeah, it just felt like a really odd decision to overlap the two because I distinctly remember Celebration Orlando 2012, at the end of 2012, we were sat on the second row. Diamond was sat literally in front of us on that front row. Uh-huh. Mary Franco was on stage and, and the other people were up there with it and they announced Celebration Europe 2 at Essen and the umpire band came out. And we went nuts because it's Europe, and everybody else in the room started booing because it wasn't America. But you know what I mean? It's, it was like <laughs> yeah. it was like the end of the you know the end of the Commonwealth Games when the Queen comes yeah. along and says we shall reconvene in Canberra in four years' time or whatever you know, which I thought was a really cool tradition. The thing is, a lot of from UK, a lot of the kind of feedback I was hearing from friends and 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 people online is having star celebration in that prime summer months makes it super expensive for flights and stuff. You know, if they're going to have it the same same year or same time but in 2022 just gives you that extra time to to plan and save yeah exactly plan and yeah. save do, do you think we would get a film announcement at d23 next year or do you think think they would always try and hold that off for like celebration i suppose saying that they've not they didn't really um announce any films at celebration per se really have they i mean no, I rogue, usually, rogue yeah. one yeah, that's true. I mean, they they do tend to put out these weird press releases when they announce two things in one press release, which is a, a really yeah. odd thing that they always seem to do. The, the classic being, you know, Lucasfilm's been sold to Disney and we're making three new films, which was like, really? You put both of that news in one press release? <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, but I kind of yeah. I kind of see that possibly from, I yeah. guess, maybe a shareholder's perspective where yeah. they've, just, they've just spunked $4.7 or something on... Um, yeah on buying Lucasfilm and I guess there might be a lot of people going yeah but hang on a sec there's not been a Star Wars film for like 10 years um, no I get that I get that but yeah you're right it's it's I don't know I mean Celebration's a great play I mean like this year we're going to miss out on Empire 
but celebrating yes. your 40th and, and, and selfishly and so many other things in the world happening can't be too selfish about everyone's plans and, and lives have been turned upside down in every measurable way but that being said i think back to 2007 and the 30th anniversary of star wars what an amazing time we had oh. at the xl celebrating yeah. all the merch and just everything the buzz and like clone wars was just about to come out force unleashed was just about to come out you know everything that was happening was it was all primed for like the next era of of Lucasfilm, you know, George's Lucasfilm. And and now you look to now and you think 40th anniversary of Empire, you know there's announcements about further animated shows coming and Star Wars Squadrons is just about to arrive. It's so similar, mm. you know, and it'd be 13 yeah. years on and all the merch that was coming out and it's Empire and I'm selfishly, it's my favourite film. So I feel like, you know, we've lost out a little bit in that respect. I'm not bitching about it because real life's way more important, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's a little bit. It's I, I guess it's kind of like that middle child syndrome kind of gets slightly overlooked. Yeah, I've not thought of it that way, but yeah, in, in that respect, yeah. It'll all come back. I mean, well, the thing is, there's so much Star Wars now. Every year is an anniversary year, you know, so there's going to be celebrations for, you know, something or other next year. Well, I mean, Raiders is 40 next year, so that's the big celebration next year. I know it's not Star Wars, but, you know, it's Lucasfilm. So, yeah, I, I, I hope this is Celebration Europe. I hope we have plenty of time to plan. You need a good 10 months to get your head around it and get everything mm-hmm. planned, like you say, even even if it's in the UK. We'll just be camping in tents at the front of the XL, I think, or VW camper vans to Paris or whatever we're doing. But, uh, yeah, 2022 should be fun. Hello, I'm Warwick Davis, and you're listening to Fanthatrax. Monday came, and we got the trailer for Star Wars Squadrons. And I think, to be fair, based on the conversations that we had in last week's episode, we weren't that far off, I think. A lot of gameplay um, that we showed it's, it's very much a a little bit of story by the looks of things and then also multiplayer so you you can pick either faction rebel or imperial and you can do these kind of uh, five player kind of multiplayer kind of squadron type games which is uh, going to be quite fun i mean because it means you can build your squadrons with your mates and and what they're trying to encourage you to do is balance your your squadron for the missions so like not everybody jumps into an a wing and not everybody jumps into an x wing so you've got y wings and stuff so that's quite cool so that kind of actually brings a little bit more tactical thought process into it which is pretty cool uh for those who uh, may have seen my facebook status yeah i was quite excited by it <laughs> yeah we won't we won't say the exact phrase that you <laughs> that you used uh, it was very colorful and very descriptive New Invol- underwear was needed. Involved yes. laundry, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but but no, I, I totally <laughs> I totally get it. I mean, I think since X-Wing, TIE Fighter, Rogue Squadron, all that sort of stuff back in the day, you know, we've always really wanted... And, and various games have had, you know, space elements like that, but it's never been the focus. It's become more of an RPG-based or, you know, or story-based or whatever it might be. You know, you've not really had a, a straight-up space combat shooter like we had. I mean, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter is the classic example. And now technology being so much better, and they talk about this. There was an article on StarWars.com, and they talk, you know, they interviewed one guy from Lucasfilm and one guy from Motive, the company behind the game, who sort of said, we want to bring up-to-date that classic feel, that X-Wing versus TIE Fighter excitement. Because, I mean, for me, I know getting the old joystick out and you know, and just getting out there and doing dogfights and chases and stuff, watching the cutscenes was brilliant. So they've really mm. brought that back. And like you just said, you know, Red Squadron attacked the Death Star. It was all Y-Wings and X-Wings, you know, Red and Gold Squadron. And all of Red Squadron was an, was an X-Wing Squadron. All of Gold was a Y-Wing Squadron. And But now they don't want that. They, want, you know, they, they break it down like there's bombers, there's fighters, there's interceptors and support ships. TIE Reaper and your U-Wing are the support ships, your TIE Fighter and your X-Wing are the fighters, your bombers 
uh, the TIE Bomber, obviously, and the Y-Wing, and the Interceptors of the TIE Interceptor and the A-Wing. So it's, it's a really good breakdown of the different types of ships, and they're all going to do different things. And like you just said, you're going to have to strategize to pull a squadron together to go out and do certain missions, whatever side you're on. And I've never thought of, you know, obviously, TIE Bomber and Y-Wing, obviously, are the comparable ships. And you look at it, it's like, yeah, that's obvious. TIE Reapers... I, I still think of them in Rogue One as being aerial vehicles, more like like yeah. airspeeders, like snowspeeder type aerial thing. But it's like no, they're they're space vehicles as well. So it's like, well, that's a cool thing I've never considered. I'm I'm so excited for this. I think it looks brilliant. I think from initial kind of trailer, we weren't necessarily thinking quite as much down the lines of um, X-wing versus Tie Fighter or something a little bit more lighter. But actually, as favorite release more videos it, it does seem like they're really trying to kind of like dial in that, that space sim vibe in the modern era obviously they've um they're making it so accessible to like playstation vr and stuff like that so that will be really fantastically fun for those who don't get motion sickness I, i'm sure just exactly like battlefront and battlefront 2 the, the maps and the locations will get expanded upon throughout the year so we could have some really nice fun locations as we progress which i think it's, it's going to be really cool i'm looking forward to it so we should uh should think about our fanfa squadron great idea i was just going to say i mean do you think it's the sort of game that will expand you know they're talking about the planets that they've mentioned you know you having prime and there's a moon a shattered moon in it, the name of age me at the moment but you know there's these different locations and it's it's New Republic era, so it's after Jedi, which again is interesting because that's kind of where Mandalorian falls as well. Do you think they could, as it expands, bring in other factions? You know, like, like I say, Mandalorian is a, a bounty hunter, so you know he could team up with either side. You know, there, there's the options of other planets, other locations. It kind of feels like they really could go to but, town. Yeah, on this one. But, but they could do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Or I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing some sequel era maps and um, stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, to be fair, like probably the difference between a T65 X-wing and a, a T70 isn't probably that much other than cosmetic changes in, in terms of gameplay. So they could probably quite easily do different eras and, and stuff like that. And just, like I said, bring in different factions. Mandos would be quite cool. Or just uh, like we've done with Battlefront, where you uh, you end up with um, heroes. So you could you could end up with like something that's caused like the Manelian Falcon and the Outrider, obviously Slave One and stuff like that. That could be quite cool. There's definitely lots of scope for it to expand it. I mean, it seems like it's not as big a game as what probably Battlefront 2 is. I could yeah. be wrong. It doesn't feel like no, that, but, which just means that there's lots of space uh, to expand, I think. Customization. They've talked about customization of vehicles, of, of characters, you know, physically, the look of characters, of different things. What, what, what about that aspect of it? Do you think that's going to give you some scope to really make it feel like it's yours? I mean, you just said Fanta Squadron, almost jokingly, but it's like, we should do that. We should totally do yeah. that. So many of us are going to play. Let's do a Panther Squadron, you know, but do you think that's that's a good little element of the game? Yeah, I think so. Just from a bit of customization, and also if you can kind of customize your pilot to look a little bit more like you, then I, I know for Fanfare tracks we'll be looking like Porkins, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also there is, you know, it's fun because I, I think I saw them scroll through different Twi'leks and different aliens and stuff yeah. like that as pilots. Yeah. So it's it's cool. I mean, it just adds to the variety, and also it's just they did that really well in Battlefront and, and Battlefront Two of being able to kind of have slightly different kind of ethnicities and, and, and even ages as well. You know, you, you had younger and you had some older kind of characters yeah. and stuff like that. So it's all just good textures now at the end of it. It, all, it helps, I think, engage for players. And, and again, I've, I think we said that a lot of the microtransactions, but also a lot of the stuff is available just through playing. So that's cool. I love the thought as well that, you know, I could be playing on my PS4, you could be playing on Switch. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know, people can be playing on different consoles. And I wonder yeah. as time goes on, 
PS5 ain't far away. Will it be compatible with that? You know, what's it the compatibility going to be like? It um, feels it like sh- it's going to be, doesn't it? It should be just because I think P- the PS5 has basically said that it's, I mean, pretty much backwards compatible, at least with PS4, from yeah. from what I recall. But also, this cross-platform thing is a lot more accessible these days. Um, Fortnite does it. That's kind of a model that people can now aspire to. They just started their next season or something, and they had something like. Uh, it's about 12 million people could either log on and play or you know or were either logged on playing or actually just watching it via twitch and youtube so that's 12 million people that's a lot of gamers well we'll be following it closely on the site obviously as any news comes through we'll talk about it we're going to pull together fanta squadron i like that thought we'll definitely do that and we'll uh, yeah we'll talk about this more as, as the months go on hi this is gareth edwards director of the best standalone star wars film since caravan of courage called rogue one you're listening to panther tracks enjoy so over the last couple of episodes, we've not had any fan questions because we've been chock-a-block with news and things to cover. But this week, we've got one. It's from Karen from Where, and she asks the question, fan edits, are they a good thing or a bad thing? Mark Mulcaster, fan edits, are they a good thing or a bad thing? Karen from Where? Karen from Where. Where, as in where the town, not where is Karen. Okay. Yeah, there was no question mark at the end, so I'm assuming she means the place. <laughs> <laughs> I sit on the fence partly because I obviously i'm a content creator as such and a creative and i have experience talking to people who kind of write and direct and stuff like that and it's very easy and i think it's one of the easiest things speaking from colorist who's come in and had to rescue grades and i know friends who who are editors who basically had to come in to kind of like I say doctor the, um, the program, I'm going to fix it. It's a lot easier to do it once the first pass has been done. So it's a lot easier to stand back and look at something and go, well, that's missing and that's missing. When actually sometimes when you're making it, it's not necessarily that easy. It's, it's quite interesting because like, I, I watched the other day, I've watched a couple of these uh, kind of fan edits at the end of Rise of Skywalker where they've comped in the different Jedi. So rather than it being some kind of metaphysical, I am... Um, all the Jedi and you're all the Sith, like you actually see the Jedi behind there, which obviously, as we know from reading the Return of the Jedi novel and stuff like that, and for making a fact, was something that was possibly was going to happen, was you actually going to, you know, at the end of Jedi, you were going to see Yoda and Ben help Luke. And, and I kind of sat there and I was thinking, well, it's actually not that bad an idea, but it nine times out of 10 comes down to how it's executed, because yeah. just because, A, you think it's a good idea, does it necessarily serve the story? But is potentially would JJ do it in the same kind of way as whoever created these fan edits? Although it's a good idea, it could actually end up being a little bit cheesy. And I mean, I I, I do sometimes st- struggle when people re-edit whole films and stuff. I think actually, I just finished reading the Paul Hirsch autobiography um, from a from a custom room far far away. At one point, he was at some kind of a panel. I, I think it was like a 40th anniversary for one of the films he edited. I can't remember which one it was. It's a Brian De Palma film. But somebody asked him from the audience, have you seen the, the fan edit for this film that's been going around? And Paul said, no. And, and the, the, the kind of guy said, yeah, Brian came out and kind of said that he preferred that cut. You know, and, and Paul was kind of like, well, then Brian should have got that guy to, you know, edit the original. And like I said, it's easier to, to see sometimes what's missing and see where things are weighty and, you know, you can tighten stuff up and stuff. We're just in that age now, aren't we? I think we're in that age where the technology is so democratised, it's very easy for you to edit on your phone, on your laptop. It's very easy for you to composite stuff. There's loads of apps you can literally just buy where you can just kind of like composite CG elements onto like video that you've shot. It's a good way. And I suppose it's kind of like the next level of speculation, really. It's just kind of rather than just talking about, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we saw that? It's actually somebody's gone to the effort of doing it. So it's not bad. It's how far you go with it, I think, to me anyway. 
for instance, whilst we don't all necessarily agree with all the changes or some of the changes or none of the changes made to the original Star Wars trilogy, that is the version that we, we've got and there are people who have gone back and they've rescanned the versions and they're fixing it, you know, the despecialised versions and stuff. And some people say, you know, they prefer that version and other people don't. But at the end of the day, that's not the canon version. That scene with Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo still happens in the canon, even if it's not in that kind of like fan film version. So, you know, what do you think? It's a tough one. I mean, you, you can go right back to... Well, I mean, right back. You can go back 20 years, certainly, to like the Phantom Edit and stuff like that, or the edits that were done of, of Episode 1, you know, taking Anakin out, taking Jar Jar out, all those all those things that people did that, that got the knickers in a bunch sort of 20 years ago. Right up to, like, the, the version that you just talk about, the Rise of Skywalker version with the or the Jedi at the end, which was really well done. I mean, really well yeah. done. And your, your point about democratisation of technology is a really, really good point because... You know, any any editor. I mean, there's there's a difference between editing, which he's done for pacing and choosing shots and stuff. That that's that sort of editing, and then editing in terms of choosing what goes in. Uh, you've got technology editing in in the terms of like that scene where they add all those Jedi behind Ray, which just looks fantastic. They've done it so well, and but then even two things that have come out recently, which and it, it's a valid point to bring up in terms of, for example, layer at the end of Rogue One when they did that back in sort of 2016 when they wrapped that effect up, it looked good. Tarkin looked good. Four years on, technology's moved forward to the point that dirt fakes, for example, can do the layer better. And it's the technology that's helping to make it better. So, But that's just technology. That's not editing. That's that's technology. So for, for somebody to do a version of layer in 2020 on their home computer that looks better than the layer that's in Rogue One, it's no criticism or comment on the work of ILM from 2016. It's a commentary on the the massive leap forward in technology because clearly if some guy at home on his laptop can do it better than ILM could do it four years ago, it's the tech that's helping him do it. It's not the skill or or the creativity or or any of that. Questions came out the other day about would you like to see the original trilogy remade? No. A million percent, no. Mm. I don't want to change a bat of the eyelid from any of the actors. I wouldn't want to change any of it. But if ILM turned around and said... We're going to remake Star Wars, Empire and Jedi, shot for shot. We're going to recreate everything, however we do it. We're going to recomposite it. We're going to redo it. It's going to look pristine, 4K, amazing, pristine, no matte lines, nothing. It's going to look amazing. It's going to look as good as any of the new films. We're not going to change the direction. You know, the pitch and angle of the ships will be exactly the same. Everything will be exactly the same. It will just be done with modern effects. To that, I would probably say yes. Is that an edit? It's not a fan edit. That's ILM. That's a it's a bad example. But my point being is that there's there's ways of doing edits that are sympathetic to the core material, which is kind of what you were saying. But they did that with Red Dwarf. But didn't they also do that with the um, Star Trek original series? Did they yeah. really CG all that? And because you're a bigger Star Trek fan than I am, uh, how how did that sit with you? Very well. I mean, the original. I mean, it's trickier for Trek in in the sense that. Star Wars, even 40-year-old Star Wars, original trilogy Star Wars, still holds up better than just 10 years before Star Trek because that was television on a minuscule budget compared to, a, you know, Star Wars still cost $10 million 40-odd yeah, sure. years ago. And ILM were, like, rewriting the rule book. But the new effects for Trek were actually very sympathetically done. It was the Yakudas, Michael and Denise Yakuda, who worked on a lot of the graphics work on Star Trek, on a lot of the series. They were kind of working with CBS to do it. So they made sure that the effects that were added... And the shots that were expanded, I mean, there's quite a few shots where they gave a bit more depth and distance to certain certain shots and they redid a lot of the establishing shots. Because they in Star Trek, they always use the same shot, the Enterprise. They shot about 10 different... They did it on Next Gen. They do like about half a dozen establishing shots of the Enterprise flying past and then they'd change the colour of the planet. 
so they went into detail and like gave the planets a bit more detail and you know did a beautiful cg enterprise and it really did look nice so so that was done in a very what's the word i'm looking for a very sympathetic way you know they were honoring what had gone before they weren't trying to change the look of the ship or anything if ilm let's say did a similar thing not cbs with trek but ilm doing stuff for star wars did a similar thing for the original trilogy and to a certain degree some of the prequels which obviously are going to age more and more as, as the years progress i'm all in for that that's fine because they're not changing the shots they're not changing anything. They're just giving you more definition. They're just embedding it more into the world. It's the same shot, just done with better techniques or updated. more modern techniques. Updated. But they're not changing the story. They're not changing anything. So, And a lot of this comes from the special editions. Now, when George started adding stuff in, in 97, that made people think, oh, hang on, this, this isn't immutable. This isn't unchangeable. Even he's happy to get here. It's like Da Vinci going in with that one last blob of paint to put it on Mona Lisa's nose sort of thing. Why would you do that? And then it was Lucas was never going to sell Star Wars in 1997. He was always going to be in the family. But it's a tricky one. And fan edits, when they're done well, knock yourself out. It doesn't change what we know. It's just exactly. another perspective, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's it's like speculation. I think, and this is for the curious thing, barring your, one of your famous favourite lines from The Empire Strikes Back, bring me my shuttle, the special editions were expanded upon rather than they didn't remove anything. You know, when you look at most of these well, look at probably all the fan edits, they remove stuff. That seems to be, I think, probably the polarising thing. You know, you take the Phantom edit, for instance, you're just removing stuff that you personally don't like. Yeah. So you don't like Jar Jar, so we're going to cut him all out. Irrespective of the fact that his role in giving Chancellor Palpatine like supreme emergency powers and all that is irrespective, you know. It's very easy to come in and just go, this isn't needed, but it's... When you, when you read Paul Hirsch's book, or if you listen to it on audiobook, you really get to understand how important pacing is, and the, the removal of a line may just seem like a minor change, but actually, without that line, sometimes that can change a character's motivation completely. In that instance, he he's referring to uh, the Michael Douglas film Falling Down, where right. basically by removing the scene where he attacks, I think, some gangsters and shoots one of them, you don't get the payoff at the end where he pulls actually pulls out like a gun. Whereas before, he doesn't use a gun, so therefore um, you just think he's going to pull out a banana or something like that. It's minor little things that actually you think, oh yeah, great. So that's kind of got our agenda across. We don't like Jar Jar, you know, thought it. We don't, we don't like Rose, let's cut all of Rose out because we don't like Rose and we don't like Canto Bite. But actually, sometimes I think people think about the, the mechanical process of editing rather than actually the, the more of a story aspect. And it's that kind of stuff where... It takes a long time to learn and um, you're constantly learning. And the thing is, you know, as we saw in Force Awakens, there's stuff that JJ got right and then there's stuff that he didn't, you know, the, the whole Chewie walking past Slayer and not kind of acknowledging uh, Han's death. It's one of those things. It's a minor thing. And I'm sure somebody could probably do a fan edit around that and fix that if they wanted to. But that's just how it is. And he held his hands up to that one. But you could really go down a deep hole, a rabbit hole of like overthinking things. I mean, in real life, we don't always say the things we should say. We don't always shake the hands we should shake and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's always things that we should do and don't do. And I guess you could just, I know it's a fictionalised universe and everything's supposed to be perfect. And like I say, we live in a world where every breath is chewed over and thought through and, and everything, you know. But in reality, sometimes we don't do the obvious things. And I just look at that one as going, yeah, it would have been cool if Leia and Chewie would have hugged. But that being said... Not like they wouldn't have had a hug later. Lucasfilm can do... I mean, good grief, they went back and redid all the, the puppet from Phantom Menace. And it was me saying there's no special editions of, of, of the prequels. Of course there is. They, they changed 
the odour. So, you know, so they can go back. So every future release of Phantom Menace has the CG odour that I think they designed for Ep3, I think. If I remember, yes, or, I think yeah. so. Yeah, you know, and so I know they've already done two, but the three Yoda was was much better. So you know, there's all these different things that they can do if they want to. They could have Lucasfilm and Disney could have easily said, well, from now on, every future release or future screening of Force Awakens will have the layer and chewy hug that we never got on the cinematic version. But then you, again, you go down that hole of, well, does that mean the version I paid for my money for at the cinema is no longer canon? People can really overthink these things if they want to. But yeah. the great thing about fan edits, I mean, the question is about fan edits, fill your boots with fan edits, knock yourself out. They, like you mentioned, the despecialised editions, fine. Colour correct, and that's well within your your remit. There's versions out there where they've, they've redone all the all the colour colouring on. You know, Hoth is the real classic example, isn't it, of the colour tones changing. You know more about that than anyone. So get that right, because there's been big cock ups in the past on that score. But but that's not an edit, so it's an adjustment. So that's it. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose this all depends on what happens. It's like, for instance, um, I would quite happily at the moment go and regrade the versions that are now available on Disney Plus. Now somebody's done that. Somebody's been paid to to sit there for however long and grade those films. Somebody's worked on that, and and but then it's that whole thing of like I'm going to come and go. Oh, actually, my version's better. That's just how it is, isn't it? Sometimes maybe it's just me being a little bit overprotective of the creatives and the creative process. But like I said, I'll, I'll watch a good fan edit. For instance, I forgot the name of it, but that revamped 21st century version of the Vader versus Obi Wan A and H fight a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, which just looks phenomenal there's kind of conversations around that at the time about actually does that it looks great I mean, it's one of those things where like it looks good but does it serve a story would both of those characters move and react in the way that they did so and i suppose the thing about star wars as well is because i mean people i mean you see it a lot online and and people are right it is just plastic spacemen fighting his wizards and fairies not sort of stuff that people say but you know when you're really into it it is more than just that it is a part of your life it's not just a film you can't stack star wars up against any other film it takes on more of an importance because it's i'm clenching my hands to my chest as i'm saying it. it's part of you it's your thing it's yours we're team star wars you know so it matters mm. not in not in a life and death way but it bugs you when things aren't right with it, it you know yeah. when it doesn't feel right you know you kind of get that feeling it's like that don't feel right you know, and we talked to Hal Hickel recently, and one of the questions to him was, "Do you can't you guys kind of have the little radar like that? Don't quite feel right. You know it, don't you?" And he says, "Yeah," because they're living and looking at it frame by frame, like you do with your work. You know, you kind of get you you get right into the fabric of it because it's Star Wars. It, it does matter. It's not just a film. If it's just a film and you can walk away, that's fine. But there's other people that are like really like, I want this to be right. I care about this. You build these things up in your head, so it's so difficult to do an edit. To Star Wars, because we read so much into it and we, we make so much of it, way more than Lucas ever planned we make of it. I don't know if there's any other franchise that probably gets edited or, or re-edited in the way that Star Wars does. And I think you hit on a good point. I think, actually, if it was just a film, you know, 40 years on, we wouldn't still be talking about it. We'd be running a, a Kroll podcast or something like that instead. Um <laughs> Just try to pick the most obscure podcast uh, film I could. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> well, that was going to be the new Star Wars, wasn't it? 
Yeah, well, yeah, but, and but you know, they follow, they follow some very, very strong Star Wars esque archetypes. So you know, there there is a, a certain aspect of the specialized editions, not necessarily maybe the motivation that that he's he's doing it for could be this, but a lot of people lean towards that because that's for Star Wars that they remember when they were kids, and that's for yeah. Star Wars they fell in love with. And so when things get changed and things get updated, yeah, it's like you said, it's like a glitch in the matrix. It's like you know something's not quite right, but you sometimes don't necessarily know how to kind of articulate it. It's like the um the Great Dragon Screech. The original version of that is is yeah. the version that I will always prefer. You know, so Aunt Beru's original <laughs> voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I'd love to hear what people think. I mean, there's there's got to be every different point of view on on this kind of subject. So, you know, if anybody wants to write in, you're more than welcome to. We'll happily argue this again. <laughs> Fanta drags. So we've just seen the final episode of season one of Disney Gallery The Mandalorian, episode eight, Connections, looking at all the links between the show and previous Star Wars projects, books and comics and everything else. I found it fascinating. I thought it was a very warm-hearted, enjoyable episode. Uh, what did you make of it, Mark? Did you, uh, did you, one, did you enjoy this particular episode? And two, what's your sort of overview of the whole season of uh, Disney Gallery? Let's start with the overview. I think, to be honest, this has been one of the most enjoyable behind-the-scenes series of anything I've ever watched. And I'm probably biased because it's Star Wars, but it's had such a nice kind of vibe about it from from the first episode right to the last one. And the, the Connections episode was a really, like like I said, it has a really nice kind of banter between um, Favreau and Filoni and, and some of the other cast members and stuff. And I think even Kathleen Kennedy makes a really good, funny joke in it as well. Yeah, it was really good i mean it was nice how they did it as well you know they yes they explained some of the connections like the, the camtono and stuff like that actually where it is and where it came from but other instances they just let the, the original kind of like trilogy version play and then show you the, that version in um in the mandalorian and i thought that was a really cool way of doing it so it's not just somebody saying oh yeah by the way that droid over there was this and it was it's a good episode really good episode and a really strong ending to what is been a really good series I wouldn't argue with any of that. I think uh, the whole series has been fun and informative and they've really dug into every aspect, you know, the, the effects work, the the practical work, the actors, the directors, you know, the music and, and now all those links to, to previous Star Wars stuff. And, and it was interesting as well. I mean, I, I think on the review on the site, I said it kind of has that end of term schools out kind of vibe about it. it yeah, it did really, they didn't definitely, it? Yeah, they definitely filmed this one last. It definitely had that relaxed, like, we did it guys kind of end of the day kind of feel people are getting a little bit silly and and stuff but i think it's fun you know both me and you and and probably 95 percent of the people um who listen to this podcast they know most of these collections they don't need this stuff being spelled out to them as such but what's quite nice is it shows how accessible this series is trying to be because actually there's going to be loads of people who could possibly be watching this on disney plus who aren't massive star wars fans and certainly wouldn't have heard of like will Rowe hood and you know and wouldn't know that he's just running around with an ice cream maker i don't think I caught them explaining anywhere else that stuff like EV99's actually in the cantina. Yeah. It's not just a droid that looks like that. Nice uh, Easter egg that uh, Mark Hamill did the voice for, for EV99, which is awesome. I, I think it just goes to, again, to reinforce and show just how much love and affection has gone into this show from, from the get-go. 
lots of little neat little things in this thing. Like, like I say, I had no idea Hamill was involved at all. Uh, I mean, he recently said how much he enjoyed the show and yeah. liked, liked the fact that they could delve into the characters because it was that, a bit smaller. And Favreau kind of alluded to that. I, well, I think Filoni said it, you know, it's like, oh, your big brother got all the best toys and you were left with the Jawa and the, the Gong Droid and all that yeah. stuff. The peg warmers, as he says, you know. But he's right. It's like, you know, it's like, well, let's take, let's take all this other stuff and make something awesome out of it which they did, but it still feels so Star Wars. I mean, even the bit when you saw Lucas on set and, and Favreau's going, hey, do you recognise this from that thing you wrote? You know, and George and like, it's oh, like, I didn't write that. Yeah, <laughs> about, yeah for, for the holiday special, Blast yeah, I thought, yeah. oh, that's so funny. And George just kind of deadpans, kind of goes, no. Totally no-sold it, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if I could hunt down every copy of that damn thing, I would. I would, you know? yeah. <laughs> And you know he would. But, but you know, all yeah. that stuff and like going to the... I mean, we know all this. It's, 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 it's all out there. All the other bits and bobs that are from all over the place but like you said you know they did a really great job of editing it so that you really saw you know you saw the original scene and then you saw the new stuff you know and the comparisons it was just so nicely done I mean it's I I tend to watch most of the episodes twice anyway Mm -hmm. I haven't watched this one for the second time yet but I'm going to watch it later because I I so enjoyed it I just beamed all the way through it and I really hope again I said it in the review you know season two's coming in October which the way this year's going it'll be honest like that maybe not justification to do a second eight part series but certainly no. a couple of feature you know sort of lengthier episode look at yeah. the advancements in stagecraft I mean Hugh McGregor this week talked about Kenobi and sort of has already said and they sort of alluded early That's on right. that, that Kenobi was going to be shot on location not using stagecraft and, and now Ewan said oh they're using these great new screens we can actually see what's going on in the room and I I've made the assumption he's talking about stagecraft when you see rogue one and they wrap the cockpit around with a hyperspace light you know sort of for yeah. the active light that's not stagecraft no that's that's it's it's, it's it's close but, but it's, it's close it's not yeah, yeah it's more for lighting exactly. it's not necessarily for backgrounds and stuff but i think that's the, the, the evolution maybe actually it's that that fact that actually they've kind of gone well we could shoot can i blow back i'm sure they're going to have to go onto location i think well say that i mean i assumed that half of like the mandalorian was shot on location when i was watching that's, it that's little incredible. did i know that it was all shot in front yeah. of a load of tvs so maybe that might have been one of those things actually that they might have had to kind of like say to you in we know what happened last time and you, you had to spend loads of time in front of green screen and blue screen but like you know if you do kenobi we'll, we'll go to like locations yeah. you won't you won't have to be in a, a void as it were maybe a volume but i guess for success of the mandalorian as a series just kind of i think goes to show how well this technology is working and cost effectiveness as well yes i mean exactly. he ain't gonna come cheap is he all the rumors was that he's getting his movie fee for this so yeah, yeah. He, he, exactly he must be I, I and to be fair that's fine it would be great just to see kenobi again and maybe we get to see a, a gallery version of kenobi well i actually know. said that in the review at the end i said deborah chow i hope you're listening we want this for kenobi because I'll, I'll shout about it again the Hal Hickel interview we did you know we did the, yeah. the hour long special just talking about his Star Wars career and, and in there he's talking about stagecraft and saying you know we, we got this much out of it in season one but wait till you see season two because we're going to get so much more out of it because you know this is the new tech that they've just started using that they're just getting used to that you realised in earlier episodes of Disney Gallery that Favreau was so involved in, in the thought process of pulling it all together. we said it before, he's the loudest guy in the room. He talks over people, but he is that guy that's assimilating everything that's being said and putting it into words. So he can verbalise, clearly verbalise the thought process. Well, why don't we try this? Because I did this on Jungle Book and it worked and it worked better on, on, on uh, Lion King. So why don't we try this? You know, he's the, he's the fulcrum, isn't he, in this scenario? Yeah, totally. You know, bring yeah. it all together. So, you know, you think with, with Kenobi... 
we've lost the summer to COVID because of what's been going on in the real world. And all the productions that would have started in the summer have been put back. So a lot of the people that maybe would have worked on the Kenobi project in January are now looking at the schedules going, well, crap, I'm going to be in wherever in January now because I'm working on this. Yeah. Maybe Disney sat down and gone, well, wow, look at look at how well it's worked for The Mandalorian. And we've just finished season two and it worked even better. So why don't mm. we, instead of going off to location to Jordan, why don't we just get ILM busy doing background plates and all the stuff they do? Yeah. And why don't we just film it in the volume or build another volume and film it there? Because I can't yeah. believe there's only going to be one volume. There's going no, to be multiple volumes. I think there's going to be multiple volumes and possibly, and there's got to be bigger volumes because obviously you're going to end up getting res- restricted as to what you can do with physical props and yeah. size and stuff. They might even just go and just take a location crew, go and get some extra plates and stuff from Jordan and what have yeah. you, or, or use stuff that was uh, unused in Rise of Skywalker and then use those to build up the new environments. I think we're, we're very much at the dawn of a very, like a new era of how you can p- produce really top end, high quality, uh, or looks like it's got big budgets, but not necessarily cost that much. So that's really exciting in itself. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see who else actually gets the opportunity to use this kind of technology and how they use it just because it'll be fantastic to see what a series set in the real world might be like if you shot on the volume for instance well yeah i mean i'm thinking lucasfilm they're already basically said they're doing more they're doing something with willow they're working on a fifth indiana jones film but once that's done indie to me feels like now when they did young indie they couldn't do raiders of the lost ark on the small screen because no. they just didn't have the technology to do it they could do it now they so could you do, could yeah. see a, you know get a younger actor to play sort of an indie in his late 20s early 30s you know sort of seven or eight years younger than harrison was when he did raiders and good grief there's about a dozen novels they did indiana jones novels that are out there peril at delphi and and dinosaur eggs and all the stuff that's out there so you know there's there's stories out there and all the marvel stuff they did and dark horse stuff so there's loads of indie stories they could adapt if they wanted to or just tell new stories because indies always have the trouble with the MacGuffin, but put them in a volume and there's options to do stuff there so like you say it's the dawn of a new age and disney gallery this show the mandalorian and i'm assuming disney gallery feels like a, a catch-all title i think you could see disney gallery <laughs> falcon and winter soldier or whatever yeah, yeah you know you could yeah. see that in future which would be very welcome i think we've, we've seen the start of something very special but as it finishes now episode eight's just come out it's been a brilliant series i've enjoyed it so much and it's been fun reviewing it with you mark it's been fun reviewing it with you and I think also it's such a nice group of people who've made it you just generally get that round the table where everybody is just like really nice and fun and they had fun doing it so it makes it like so much more easy to watch because you watch a uh, behind the scenes documentary about a film production and everything's not working and stuff it it gets quite tense I'm sure there's been tense moments and when stuff hasn't worked and like when the the engines crashed and they've lost the volume for a couple of hours or something but every single episode has just been really fun I've enjoyed it and I'm going to look forward to watching it again before I think season two comes out hats off well done to everybody involved with Disney Gallery with the Mandalorian we've certainly enjoyed it it's been worth it just subscribing to Disney Plus for this has made it worthwhile for me so it's been a nice bonus considering we saw all of the Mandalorian before we should have so that's all for episode 43 of Making Tracks thanks for listening once again if you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news visit Fantatracks.com or check out the Fantatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device you can reach out to us and send in your listeners questions by emailing radio at Fantatracks.com we're doing listeners questions again so get them in send them in we want to hear them Comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Panther Tracks and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one please, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. Thank you once again, Mark, and we'll speak again next week. Yeah, and the future's bright. The future's orange. Can't top that. Coming up next on Panther Tracks Radio, it's the Panther from Down Under.